Chapter 4 of my book called Finding a New Way Home is entitled A New Discipline, A Walk of Joyful Struggle. I, I wouldn't take a million dollars for the way I was raised, for my family of faith. Um, Amy and I have actually raised our boys pretty differently than the two of us were raised. There's a lot different about that. But I was sharing with the Sunday school class this morning, I, I'm so deeply grateful for the way I was raised. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, at the center of my childhood was faith. In everything we did, God was at the center of that, and I was taught that, and of course I went to Sunday school and church and church training and Wednesday nights, and if there was an M night or a revival or any other kind of prayer meeting, I was there. You know, God was at the center of it all. We learned a lot of scripture as, I learned a lot of scripture as a child. It was just in my Southern Baptist environment. Um, I have really appreciated that. I've called on that uh, memorization a lot of times over my adult life. And so I'm grateful for the way I was raised, for family and for faith. Uh, and in my childhood, I met a girl named Amy. Um, I went off to Furman after we had been dating for a year, and Furman kind of rocked my world. I told you last week about Intro to Philosophy in which I began to ask some questions that I had never been allowed to ask before, had never wanted to ask before, and I was shaken, shaking from that experience. Amy and I were children when we married. I had graduated from Furman in June, and she had just finished her sophomore year at Presbyterian College. For two years, I repaired computers. I was pretty good in DOS those days, but that's so... <laughs> So last century for you who know computers. After Amy graduated, we loaded my Mazda B2000 pickup and we pointed her Dodge Omni to the bluegrass country of Kentucky. Six and a half hours later, we pulled into the parking lot of Seminary Village, the post-World War II neighborhood slum in Louisville, Kentucky, that was home to a diverse assortment of impoverished seminarians. Luxury apartment, T6, featured one bedroom, one small den with an adjoining dinette, a one-butt kitchen, I hope I can say that from the pulpit. Um, uh, it was just big enough for one backside, you know. And neighbors who were so close and so poor that they broke their own meat and their own plates and silverware every time we got together to eat, which was more than once a week. We have never been so poor it was wonderful. We loved Southern Seminary. It was kind of our school together experience. We had been in high school together. Uh, we had been in college at different places, but we were in Southern Seminary together. It really was a kind of Camelot experience with friends that we were meeting and challenging us and supporting us and loving us, with faculty who were doing the same, with faith that was growing. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Southern created a kind of interesting tension for me. It was institutional enough, it was Baptist enough that it kept me moored, grounded to the basis of my faith, and yet it was progressive enough uh, that it challenged me to keep on exploring those questions that I had asked in philosophy class. So there was kind of an external pressure that held me in place, and yet an internal uh, pressure that asked me to keep challenging and there was kind of an osmotic balance there that I think was really good for me during those years. 
Formation for Christian ministry is a required course for incoming students, helping them to prepare emotionally for the intellectual intensity of a three-year curriculum that might challenge core beliefs and deeply held convictions. Maybe it would have been good if Furman had had a uh, formations for philosophy class to prepare me to ask those questions. At Furman, they just threw me into the fire. At Southern Seminary, they prepared us before they threw us into the frying pan. Early in the semester of that course, Dr. Wade Rowett invited his class to consider our own journey in faith, to take a snapshot, as it were, of our present moment and to describe that theological selfie. Of course, there was no selfie in 1988, but to describe that snapshot moment with a word, a phrase, a sentence. The crisis that had begun one nonchalant day at, at, in a Furman convocation was simmering. At times, I was intensely aware of a threatening apostasy, but I was rarely unaware of the questions that I was asking, that struggle that was going on. Like an ever-persistent hangnail, Dr. McDonald, I told you about last week, his questions would give me no peace. I missed my comfortable, easy faith, though I could not give it up. So the snapshot of my faith that, that came rather quickly as I thought about it, I wrote down these words, a walk of joyful struggle. The walk reflected my lifelong engagement beginning in the home of my childhood, beginning with devotional sincerity, bringing Jesus into my heart, the intrusion of a cross-examination into the trial of an unexamined faith led to a sense of struggle that I was experiencing. Even in the frightful moments, however, a new understanding was giving a new sense of purpose. Despite the struggle, there was direction and movement to my faith. Despite the struggle, I never lost the joy. It still pulsed beneath motivating the next step in that journey that has proven never boring and never ending. Now at this point in the chapter of my book, I uh, re read the, the text of Genesis 32 as Jacob wrestles one night with a man that turns out to be a representative of God. And in that wrestling, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. As the text says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. That's what the name Israel means. One who strives with God, wrestles with God, and prevails. I had never understood Jacob until I doubted God. Conversely, I had never understood faith until I realized Jacob is not just some historical character. Jacob was me. Jacob is all of us. He's not just an exemplar of faith. His story is faith, the life of faithful discipline. The story is more than history. The story is myth and metaphor, legend and oral tradition. Faith is struggle. Faith is not easy belief, blind acceptance, comfortable trust. Faith isn't the affirmation of doctrines, that kind of head belief falls within the auspices of religion, and religion is essential to human health and success. We need rituals 
like baptism. We need outward expressions, language that attempts to give description to the indescribable. Religion is an important accompaniment of faith, a partner, but the two should never be confused. And while religion can be made easy, faith, according to old Jacob, is always wrestling with God. Faith is struggle. That's what it means. That's what it is. Jacob teaches us, us faith is the struggle with God. Jacob gives us the insights to believe that in accepting the struggle, in holding on and demanding a blessing, which is part of Jacob's story, the struggle itself becomes our blessing. The dark night of the soul can be dislocating, terrifying even, and joy doesn't mean blissful or superficial happiness. True joy comes in recognizing our place in the narrative, believing we are part of a larger landscape of meaning and purpose, that despite the wearying good and bad of life's inevitability, God is with us. Since the day my freshman year of Furman, when I realized I was already in the midst of it, the struggle has defined my faith. Now, in some of my weaker moments, I almost envy the certainty of the evangelical passion I once knew. But when I've come to, what I've come to believe is that cocksure certainty is not faith. Certainty is the province of religion. It's what makes religion intoxicating and can make it dangerous. Uncertainty. The energy of not knowing, the energy of walking by faith, not by sight, is what makes faith real and energizing for our souls. I would not trade this 35-year struggle I have been engaged in for any easy certainty. My faith is alive, precarious and precious. Real faith ensures persistence and consistency as life throbs with struggle and spirit, woven together along a step-by-step, day-by-day journey. It's a walk. I'm in it for the long haul. And while it's not all happy, neither is life. Acknowledging that the inevitable, inescapable uncertainties of life are intrinsic to the reality of faith grounds that faith in a God who is incarnate, who is in the very, very real celebrations of our life and difficulties of our life. God is with us now, literally. God is with us. But that doesn't make life or faith easy. Welcome to the struggle. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? 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 On my tombstone, I really just want my name, the date of birth and date of death. And I hope there are a lot of years in between those two numbers. Nothing else needs to be written but if someone were to put an epitaph on my tombstone, I hope it would say, 
She didn't lose her joy. But let's admit it, the struggle is real. I think we like to paint the biblical narrative with such pretty strokes where everything seems to work out nicely and neatly, like, oh, I don't know, the heavens opening up and something like a dove descending and bringing what one could only presume to be peace upon your life. And then a voice bellows from heaven, you are beloved and I am so well pleased with you. And then they all lived happily ever after, the end. We read scripture knowing how the story goes and how the story ends. And even after knowing all of that, we still paint these events in the life of Jesus as pristine and lovely. But the truth is, nothing was easy about this life of faith. It still isn't. It wasn't easy for John the baptizer, this cousin of Jesus, the one who had come to pave the way for Jesus. He was an odd duck. He dressed in unusual fashion, he ate odd food, and he talked crazy talk. He called the people that were gathered there listening to them, to him, you brood of vipers. And instead of just getting up and walking out like I think you would do if I had the audacity to call you a brood of vipers, the crowd instead asked John, well, then what do we do to not be a brood of vipers anymore? And he told them the hard stuff, like if you have two coats, you have to give one of them to someone who doesn't have any coat. And if you have more food than you need, you have to share that food with someone that doesn't have enough food. You know, crazy talk. And he told the tax collectors, who were known for taking more money than they needed, that they couldn't do that anymore. And he told the soldiers not to threaten or make false accusations. And then he mentioned to everybody, you should really just be satisfied with what you have. Crazy talk. John was preaching a message that the struggle is going to be real. And the way of faith is countercultural and it is not easy. And it was at this point that the people gathered began to wonder if maybe this John was the Messiah himself, the one that they were waiting and watching. And that's where the text picks up for today that I read earlier, where John explains, I just baptized with water, but one that is more powerful is coming who will tell you the way more than I have been able to tell you. And he will call you to do more than I have told you to do. He's even going to tell you, you've got to turn your cheek and take it. Or maybe turn your cheek and stand in rebellion to the forces and powers and principalities. And then John called it, ain't this good news? And Herod, the verses in between the text that we were given for today, 18, 19, and 20, those verse, verses, as Luke tells it, Herod had John 
arrested just before Jesus was baptized. So as much as descending doves are nice and all, and as much as voices from heaven calling you beloved is comforting and affirming, can we at least admit that none of this is easy or neat or tidy? Jesus' baptism signifies the beginning of his ministry, and surely you must know that his ministry was anything but a cakewalk. He will do many wonderful things. He will heal the sick. He will welcome the outcast. He will feed the hungry kind of stuff. But he will also become infuriated with the religious leaders of his day, and he will be rebuked and dismissed from the very people that raised him from the time that he was just a boy. And he will change his mind. And he will question God. Even for Jesus, the struggle was real. Do not be fooled by the pretty pictures that the church tries to paint of Jesus and his ministry. The struggle was very, very real. So why should it be any different for any of us? I've had a long series of written correspondence lately with someone who recently stated to me, I'm just not sure I believe in God anymore. It has totally broken my heart. I know the questions and the doubts. I have them too. I know the struggle is real. And I'm going to tell you what I have written back to this person is longer than any sermon but I've pulled just a couple of paragraphs from that recent correspondence. In it I said, it is such an irony. So many people find Park Road because they have left the church because of the church. It's actually become a bit of a sense of calling for us to be a place where people can bring their questions and their doubts and so many people have actually found a spiritual home again because of places like Park Road where trite answers are not tolerated and dogma and exclusion based on conformity of thought and belief are not endorsed. I feel as though we've given people a gift to embrace a sense of spirituality, a language of mystery and other, to connect with themselves and with each other and even with some force that is outside of themselves. So it's just interesting that even a liberal progression of thought can end up leading people away from faith when some people have found it because of that. And it's just that there are tons and tons of liberal theologians and thinkers and philosophers and preachers who are not sure about God either and yet have decided to choose faith as a way of life. And they've based their life and their calling and their work in the context of community, grounded in the way of Jesus and the love of God. In other words, you are certainly not alone in your questioning and your doubting. You are in very good company of centuries of thinkers after going on and on and on and on, I came back and said, because it really, it made me mad. 
So I said, for almost 30 years, I have been frustrated with conservatives who get so hung up on a literal interpretation of what they consider to be an inerrant, infallible word from God, and then they miss the whole point of the truth because they're so hung up on it literally happened. But for the last 18 years or so, I have been equally frustrated with a liberal perspective that throws the baby out with the bathwater by totally dismissing that which they can no longer believe. For those folks, if the story can't be true, they cease to go deeper for the truth, capital T. Personally, I don't want some middle ground that's watered down so we can all find a place of agreement. I want a faith that is powerful and living and transformative and life-changing. In short, in the midst of the struggle that is faith, I just don't want to lose my joy. I went on and on some more, but that's all I'll give you. John the baptizer stuck with it. He did not give up. He did not stop preaching his brand of good news. He did not stop preparing the way for Jesus to enter the scene and change the world. Even when he said, I am unworthy to even untie your shoes, yet he still baptized Jesus. And Jesus endured the struggle as well. Marcus Borg described Jesus this way. He says, he was the one who lived among us as a God-intoxicated Galilean peasant healer, wisdom teacher, and social prophet who not only lives, but is Lord. I ended my correspondence with my friend, my struggling friend, and I said, what I really want to be in this world is one who lives among the people of the world as a God-intoxicated American peasant healer, wisdom teacher, and social prophet. But let's face it, the struggle is real. So I keep praying for the joy to be just as real. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who will be a witness for my Lord? May it be so. Amen.